How many of you have heard the phrase, you had one job? You had one job. And so to start out this morning, I want to share some uh, one job fails that I came across. And so here's the first one. This is the college of planning (laughs) that didn't plan very well. Now, I read that this this was actually on purpose, but I I still think it's, it's very funny here. Next year that I came across, this drain had one job, and clearly someone didn't plan this very well, right? If you're OCD, this path is going to make you go crazy. Doesn't bother me, but then again, that's just my personality there. Um, next year, these people clearly didn't do very well in geography. They had one job, and it was not very well. I like this next one. Um, This is some stuffed animal makers, and you can see these eyes here that they, they struggled with knowing which way to put them. Now, this next one has a very vague message, not quite sure what it means on those boxes, so no one understood. Now, as a fortune cookie expert, I want to say that I can attest that this is not how it's supposed to be. And, and it says, the job is well done. And I want to say, fortune cookie makers, no, it is not well done there. We have a bench that's not, not in the greatest of places here, right? Scoot it over a little bit next time. All right, just uh, two more here, two or three more. Uh, I like this one here. This is uh, give the cyclist some space, but you notice they're blocking the space of the cyclist. Sort of ironic. And then last year, this dad had one job, and that was to fill up the pool. But if you look closely, he must have set the the, the hose somewhere else and walked off because he filled up everything but the pool there. He had one job. And in today's sermon, we're going to be looking at one job that Jesus gives all his disciples. And we've talked about the past... Uh, number of weeks in this series that all of his disciples are all the Christians. All Christians who follow him are his disciples. And that one job is this. A disciple of Jesus Christ testifies. Testifies. Now most of you have probably seen what's going on over in Israel. When the fighting began just a week or two ago, I saw a number of people begin posting on social media, and particularly I saw a number of pastors, of big church pastors, start posting things like, get ready, Jesus is coming back very, very soon, any moment now, he has to come now. And I find it interesting that this idea was discussed even before Jesus left the first time before he ascended into heaven. And so let me read the first verse or two of our passage to explain what I mean here. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already resurrected from the dead. He's getting ready to go to ascend into heaven. So these are really his last moments with his disciples before he leaves the earth, at least physically. And during this time, one of his disciples asks him this question. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples had the mindset 
that since Jesus had resurrected, now he was going to come and he was going to rescue them from Roman rule. In other words, they thought that that now that he was in power there, that he was going to come as a military or political king and drive out the Roman forces. But let's look at what he says in verse 7. Jesus says, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And I would say that he would probably be saying that to us right now as well. Jesus is essentially telling them, it's not your job to figure that part out. It's above your pay grade, so to speak. And it's interesting that the disciples think he's going to return in power. That's what they asked him. But Jesus instead says, it's none of your business. That's up to God by his own power. So the power talk continues, but Jesus shifts it talking about God. But then, in verse 8, he mentions power again, but this time he shifts it back to the disciples, which is not what the disciples were expecting. He says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus does not focus here on him coming to rescue them, to rescue Israel. Instead, he focuses on his followers being empowered for one mission, for one job. Verse 8 is our main verse. And so we're going to sort of slow down for a moment and focus and talk about what this verse means for us and sort of figure out what he's talking about here. So first of all, when he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, what he's referring to for them is what happens in the very next chapter. In Acts chapter 2, it says, and they were filled. This is at Pentecost. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so this was the first time that the Holy Spirit had filled followers of Christ. And so it came, he came with a bang. But after this transition period, there's a number of times that this happens throughout the book of Acts. But after this, every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I back that up with scripture, you may ask? Hey, how about this one? How about, come on, there you go. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also, Paul says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This means that every disciple of Jesus, meaning every Christian, has the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, and guess what? You have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And every Christian, since we have been filled with the Holy Spirit, has been empowered to carry out the one job that Jesus has given us. You may be wondering, what is that job? Well, I want to say, given the context of what I'm talking about here, it's not to spend all of our time wondering when Jesus is going to come back. 
It's not to look at the world events and spend all of our time saying, all right, this moon is at this position. This fighting is happening here. So Jesus must be returning at this time. That's not our main job. So it's not to focus on these things. Our one job is this, to be Jesus's witness to the world. We are to testify to the world. He says, and you will be my witnesses. Since we're talking about the importance of witnessing, we might want to then discuss what witnessing means. What does it mean to be a witness? And when I think of witness, and probably you as well, you, you probably think of it in two different contexts, two, two main areas that it's going to come up, at least in our culture. So a witness is, first of all, someone who testifies in court. And then when they do this, what they're doing is they are affirming or revealing truth to support the, the, the side that, that they're on. And I'm reminded, when I think of witnesses, of an interaction that I read about between an attorney and a witness. That, and, and so let me put this up on the screen here. Attorney, doctor, before you perform the autopsy, did you check for a pulse? Witness, no. Attorney, did you check for blood pressure? Witness, no. Attorney, did you check for breathing? Witness, no. Attorney, so then, is it possible that the patient was alive when you began the autopsy? Witness, no. Attorney, how can you be so sure, doctor? Witness, because his brain was sitting on my desk in a jar. Now, jokes aside here, witnesses don't create truth. Their job is not even to persuade truth. Our job is to reveal or to show truth. And then the second way that we think of witnesses, and at least I do, is when it comes to evangelism, when we're witnessing. And when we witness to someone, what we're doing is we're testifying to them about Jesus. But here's the thing. When Jesus says that you will be my witnesses, I think both of these meanings are applicable here. As witnesses of Jesus, we are simply sharing truth, but it's truth that is about Jesus Christ. Witnesses don't make up things about Jesus. We simply share things of what we've seen or what we've witnessed and been told about Jesus. Now, sometimes I think that we overcomplicate what witnessing is. We think sometimes that we, we have to have memorized certain lines in an evangelistic program in order to witness. Or we think that we have to have a certain level of understanding of apologetics before we're ready to share and witness. But at its core, none of those things that I just mentioned are witnessing. Witnessing is simply sharing the truth about Jesus Christ. So it's simply sharing what Jesus has done in your life and what you've seen him do in the lives of others or what you've read about in Scripture. So does it help to know a lot more about the Bible? And I'd say, yes, absolutely. Does it help to know uh, certain evangelistic lines and be taught how to better share your faith with others? Yes, yes, it does help. Does it help to be able to answer every single objection that someone may have? Yeah, yeah, it helps. But none of those are required 
to be a witness. To witness is to simply share what Jesus Christ has done. And so I say this to free you. It's okay to not be able to answer every question that someone has. It's okay to be able to share your faith and then feel embarrassed or feel unqualified. Because, listen, your level of embarrassment or your level of qualification does not impact whether or not you can be a witness. Has Jesus changed your life? And if the answer is yes, then you can be a witness, no matter how much you know or don't know. And think of it this way. A witness is not an attorney. Attorneys debate and prove and and all of this. Witnesses simply reveal the truth. So again, there's nothing wrong with discussing or debating as long as you do it in a loving way. There's nothing wrong with being able to answer questions or being part of an evangelistic program. But don't put so much pressure on yourself because you have an important role here as a witness, but you are not the one who changes hearts. You're not the one who redeems sinners. That's God's role. And so you are simply the one to tell others about the one who does change hearts. And that brings us to the next part of verse 8, where he says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And actually, Tim was just up here sharing, and he talked about where he lives. And, and that's, he said that's his Jerusalem, or Judea. And uh, we didn't plan it this way, but it's good he gave an example of this. So let me explain what do we mean here. Some of you who have been in church for a while may already know all this. But, uh, but for those who are, who are newer to, to the Bible or just haven't dug, dug into this passage, let me uh, explain a little bit deeper. So when we think of, Ju- of where Jesus was, Jesus was teaching this last part. He was about to ascend. He was on the Mount of Olives. And as you can see on the, bio, in, in, on the screen here, Mount of Olives was less than a mile away from uh, Jerusalem. So it was just east of Jerusalem. So when Jesus is saying in Jerusalem, which is the first part he said, he's referring to, to where they were at right then. He's saying in Jerusalem. So you, you'll be my witnesses right where you're at. But next... Oh, sorry. And then a a modern day equivalent of that would be, say, Hampstead or where you live or Derry or Londonderry or or Plasta, wherever you live here. That's where you are going to be a witness. That's your Jerusalem. But then he says in all Judea and uh, Judea, what he's referring to is the province that makes up the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah. And Judea is the larger area that Jerusalem is in. As you can see in the little red square up near the top is Jerusalem. And so a modern day equivalent to that would be, say, New England or even all of America. Because Hampstead is in there, but then you have that whole province or that whole country there that holds it. And then he says Samaria. And Samaria is the province that ju- that's just north of Judea. And the, this is made up of mostly the, the northern kingdom of Israel. But many years before that time where Jesus was talking, the northern kingdom had been conquered by the Assyrians. And so at that time, many of those 
Israelites there, many of the Jews, then intermarried and began uh, with people from other, other uh, religions and other countries and then began worshiping other gods. And so by the time Jesus... In the, in, by Jesus' time, and by the time the Jews there were in Judea, they hated the Samaritans because they thought they were traitors. And so they hated them so much that they didn't interact with them. And when the, the, the people in Judah needed to go north, to travel north, they would actually go around Samaria instead of through Samaria. So they would extend their trip because they hated them so much. And so a modern-day equivalent to this, I thought about it, might be Mexico or Canada. I mean, it's not, not perfectly there, but notice, though, that Jesus is going further and further and further out. And he started in the, his very city that he was in, and then he moved out to the greater province, and then to the province that was north, made up of people that the, the Jews did not like. But then finally Jesus says, and to the ends of the earth, or to the end of the earth. So that covers everything else. So what is Jesus getting at here? That we're to be his witness in our local town, but we're also to be a witness in our entire country. And we're to be a witness to the country that we don't always get along with, or say that we put up walls to keep people out of. Or say... Uh, or to come from coming in. And we're to be a witness to the rest of the world. So Jesus is calling us to be his witness to the entire world, not just the local area that we live in. Jesus wants us to testify to our neighbor, but he also wants us to testify to our neighboring enemies. And he wants us to testify to the uh, people on the other side of the world who look different, speak different, and eat spicy food. The whole idea is emphasized by what happens next. So let's read the next few verses. Verse 9, And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud, uh, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men of, uh, by them in white robes, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So after Jesus gave them their job to do, he ascended into heaven. This was obviously in a time when nobody else in the world flew. So nowadays, we have our airplanes, we have our helicopters, and we even have our jet packs. Uh, I remember, when, I can't remember what vacation this was on. I, I remember looking out, and I saw someone floating around on the ocean. And I was like, what in the world? And, and they were like using a water propulsion, whatever it's called there, uh, somehow to, to float themselves up in the air. And they were like going up there. And I thought that was really cool. And I was staring at them just for doing that. But back then there was nothing, no flying at all. And Jesus starts lifting up into the air. So uh, understandably so, it would have been very cool to see. 
And so verse 10 says that they stood there gazing up into the sky. Let me tell you, I would have done that too. Just looked up there. And then even after he left, I still would have been looking. Can I, can I see it? And they gazed so much that two angels had to come and interrupt their thoughts. <clears throat> People, don't just stand there. Jesus will come back. And while they don't say this directly, their, their message is clear here. They're saying, in the meantime, get to work. You have a job to do. Now go do it. And we know from the rest of the book of Acts that that is exactly what they did. They traveled all around sharing about Jesus. In fact, the word witness is found 39 different times in the book of Acts. Time after time, Peter testifies to the fact of what he saw. For example, Acts 2.32, he stands in front of a large crowd and he said, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Or in Acts 10.39, he says, and we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So Peter took what Jesus said to so much the heart that he literally went around testifying, saying, I have witnessed this. And so I want to ask you, what about you? What about you? Now, I'm no angel standing in front of you all, but I am going to stand in front of you all and say the same thing that the angel said. <clears throat> People. Don't just stand here. Jesus will come back. But in the meantime, you have a job to do. And so with this in mind, I want to ask you three questions to think through. And the first question is this. Do you know the job that you have been given and are you doing it? And this would, first of all, apply to those that have in here, that, that you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. So if, you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're not one of his disciples. And, and the first step for you is to turn to him and give him your life. But when you do that, you are all of a sudden empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witness. And then you know you have a job to do. So for, for those that are disciples of Jesus, for those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, are you living in a way that is intentionally living out the job that you've been given? Because we're never going to accidentally be a witness for Christ. This is something that we have to be intentional about. But second, are you living out what you are witnessing? And so in other words, does your life point to what you are saying? So are you practicing what you're preaching, so to speak. Because, listen, no one's going to listen if they don't believe, if, if they see that you're not practicing what you preach. So on, on the other hand, if they see you live out what you're saying, then they will take notice. Read about George Whitfield, who's a famous evangelist in the 18th century. 
And one day, he was preparing to preach in, in Edinburgh. By, by that point, he was very famous. And so people from that town got up at 5 a.m. to get to the place where he was speaking. And on the way, one of the men that was going to hear him speak ran into another guy that was going to hear him speak. But that guy was a man named David Hume, who was a well-known Scottish philosopher and skeptic. And the man was surprised to see Hume there going to see Whitfield. And so he asked Hume, he said, "Uh, I, I thought you didn't believe in the gospel. And Hume responded by saying this, I do not, but he, speaking of Whitfield, he does. And church, may the same be said about each of us. Maybe the people in our neighborhood don't believe what we're witnessing to but may they believe that we believe it. And may they see that we are living it out. Here's the third question. Are you going to the end, ends of the earth or just down the street? So Jesus told his disciples to be a witness locally and far, far away. And so this is the job that Jesus has given us to do. So we're not called to just live a comfortable life. We're called to testify. I've shared this before, but this is important for for all of us to remember. How uh, many times we think of the Christian life like a cruise ship. Where following Jesus, he'll just, if you follow him, he'll just meet all of your needs. Come to Jesus and he'll, and you'll be happy. Come to Jesus and he'll fix your relationships. Come to Jesus, and and everything will be all right. Listen, that's a cruise ship mentality Christian right there. We as a church are not going to accomplish anything with that mentality because Jesus does not call us to join a cruise ship, but a battleship. So we're called to get out of our comfort zone And we're called to go and to testify the loving message of Jesus Christ. And so only then will this message get out to others. Now some may say, Kyle, that's a little bit extreme. And I would say, yes, that's extreme. But that is what Jesus is calling us to do. One pastor put it this way. He said, if the Christian faith is worth believing It is worth believing heroically. Or another pastor said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for make for him. If he died for you, then can you get a little uncomfortable for him? I read about a, a missionary in a remote part of Africa many, many years ago, probably 100-plus years ago. And he was once asked if he really liked what he was doing. And his response was this. He said, do I like this work? No. My wife and I do not like dirt. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. Love constrains us. 
And so church, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we've been given one job. And maybe for some of you here in the room, maybe it's not physically possible to go overseas, but if that's you, are you helping others who can go overseas? We've just heard from someone who stood before us and is essentially saying, I'm willing to go to Africa and help them out. And the only thing that's holding him back right now is finances. And so maybe you can't go, but can you support someone who can? And so to close here, I'm going to ask you again, are you being a witness? Are you testifying? Are you testifying locally to those near you? Further away to maybe those people that you don't like and far, far away to those on the other side of the world. And so I want to challenge you, stay focused. Stay focused and carry out the one job that he's given you. Let's go ahead and let's spend a moment now in prayer. Father, I pray.